Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. Southeast Radio. Welcome back to Southeast Radio's Business Matters with me, Carl Fitzpatrick. Well, before I introduce my final guest, there are two important dates that I would like to bring to your attention. Firstly, on September 21st, applications for Acorn 6 will close. Acorns is a highly successful development initiative for female entrepreneurs located in rural Ireland. Based on peer support and collaborative learning, the highly successful Acorns programme will accept 50 female entrepreneurs onto the programme, with each participant having the opportunity to be guided by an established and experienced female entrepreneur regarding possible growth strategies for their business. Further information about Acorn 6 is available from acorns.ie. And secondly, on Friday, October 16th, Focus Ireland will host its annual Shine a Light fundraiser. Taking place in the Irish National Heritage Park, I'm delighted to be an ambassador for a Shine a Light 2020, and I'm encouraging the business community to join me on the sleepout and raise vital funds for people experiencing homelessness in Wexford. For more information about how you can get involved, please visit shinealight.focusireland.ie. Now my final guest for this week is an internationally renowned retail futurist, Matthew Brown. Matthew has witnessed radical transformations within the retail sector over the past 20 years and believes that another seismic shift is already in progress. Matthew, before we discuss these changes, you might highlight your own experience in the world of retail. Okay, well, I mean, a lot of people ask me, what on earth do I do and why do I call myself such a pretentious title as a retail futurist? Um, I kind of try and explain it by saying that I travel around the world with my camera taking pictures of shops. You know, I'm not an expert in the sense of being a retailer or a designer. I have no no special skills other than the fact that it, I've now been looking at shops for more than 20 years. So as you can imagine, in 20 years, I've seen an awful lot of retail. And Matthew, over the past 20 years, how has that retail store, that physical store actually changed? It's changed a huge amount. I mean, I kind of think that there's been some, some major waves in, in retail. There's been the big change that happened around about the dot-com boom in the 2000s, uh, where they started putting technology into stores. And then there was the massive disruption of the, the, the great financial crisis in 2008, 2007, 2008. Um, and now I think we're going to see the next big wave. So that, this, this big catastrophes of change are going to start to accelerate trends that were slowly picking up pace but are now just going to accelerate that much faster. Okay, but as a retail futurist, I'd like to hear your predictions for what the next big wave will look like in retail. Just like with the great financial crisis, we're going to see an awful lot of destruction. We're going to see, uh, you know, brands that have been, uh, you know, on our high streets for decades they're going to go. Uh, We're going to see some absolute disruption of traditional retail models, um, and it's going to be replaced with um, some really interesting newcomers. Um, And I think the next wave is going to be, without trying to sound too cliched, digitally native brands that are starting to move into physical retail and starting to reinvent what we actually think a store is. Because I think the nature of retail from now on is, is really going to be affected by the fact that Stores are not places you have to go anymore. If you really need product, you don't need to go into a store anymore. And that fundamentally changes what we need from retail shops and what we expect from them and what retail shops can offer. So, Matthew, on that basis, what will the store of the future look and feel like? Well, 
I mean, the one thing we want is variety. Uh, one of the big trends that we've seen over the past few years is this, you know, relentless rise towards the kind of cookie cutter town centres. And there's been a huge rejection against that. So on one level, the store of the future, the successful store of the future will be unpredictable. It will be surprising. Um, a, a lot of the time when we talk about great retail, we talk about surprise and delight. Um, and in a way, by definition, you can't predict what's going to surprise and delight you because it hasn't yet been created. Um, but I think we're going to see less functional retail, more social retail, uh, more community-based retail, uh, retail that's about telling stories rather than just about transactions. Uh, brands are going to start to rethink how they measure a store's success rather than trying to count mere transactions, that they'll start to think about themselves as brands and that the overall brand value they have across a bunch of channels. Um, and retailers are going to need to start accounting for that differently. They're going to need to start working out how, uh, if you offer an amazing in-store experience that then converts to an online sale, whether that means that the in-store experience was wasted or whether it was part of, the, part of that transactional process. And of course, the term experiential retailing has emerged in recent years. What is it and how has COVID-19 impacted this? Well, I mean, on one level, COVID has put the total kibosh on, 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 uh, on experiential. Uh, you know, we now have a distress model of retail where we talk about things like essential purchases and essential retailers and non-essential retail. I mean, the truth is there is very little that is genuinely essential retail, certainly in terms of the, the stores on the high street. Uh, what, we, what we're going to realise very quickly over the next year or so is how inessential retail is on one level and yet how unbelievably essential it is in terms of community and making life worth living, uh, you know, bringing our communities together, uh, ecosystems, all of that type of stuff. It's, it's going to be a, a tricky thing when we start defining retail as unessential or essential uh, because when high streets start dying, even essential retailers will suffer. Uh, you know, we are going to have to start coming together massively to protect retail, to protect our communities, to protect our high streets. Um, and that's going to be a job that's for retailers themselves, but also for landlords and for councils and for us as customers. And if you were brought in, Matthew, as a consultant to work with a local authority with a view to redesigning a town centre to get the most of it from a retail perspective and to draw as many customers in as possible, what would it look like and how would you go about it? That's very interesting. I mean, the, the big change that I've seen over the past few years has been that shopping malls, traditional shopping malls, especially, let's take in the United States, that had that... Uh, that that um, a standard design of being essentially a concrete tube surrounded by car parks with three mid-market department stores uh, anchoring anchoring the units, um, you know they are essentially finished. We are looking at statistics of maybe three to four hundred of these disappearing in the next few years. That traditional model of retail is disappearing, certainly in the U.S. That's got the overprovision of it, but it's being replaced by what we call lifestyle centres, which are essentially town centres. They are open air. They have uh, green spaces at the heart of them. They have restaurants bustling out onto the streets. They have yoga classes in the, in, in the centre. They have a mix of residential, work, play, live, shop, all of that. So what's really interesting is that shopping malls are starting to think like towns. 
And conversely, the really interesting hubs of retail innovation in the cities that we see around the world, places like, let's say, Covent Garden, where they have a specific landlord, these are landlords that are starting to think like shopping malls. And by that, what I mean is that they're controlling the whole streetscape. They're controlling uh, the lighting, the environment, the litter, the whole feeling of why you go there. They're controlling the tenant mix. This is what councils have to do. They have to think about the entire customer journey. So, Matthew, from your experience, what town or small city has continued to thrive against the growth in online retailing and maintain its local retailers? I often hold up the example of what's happening in London because I, London is not a monument, you know, it's not a monolithic city. It's a series of villages. It's a series of, of different spaces. And some of the most creative landlords there have created their own thriving ecosystems that have become world-class destinations with unique, either, either unique brands that aren't to be found elsewhere on the high street or they're getting existing big brands to do something really interesting and unique with it. And the reason it's important is because they are landlords that control a big swathe of properties. Therefore, they can actually put, they can actually stamp a wide footprint. Um, and it kind of started really with uh, Marylebone High Street, which is, which is often held up as the, the quintessential case study for how to revitalize a high street. And it was because the De Walden estate um, controlled a whole swathe of properties on Marylebone Village. Um, and, uh, and they had a leasing strategy that said that they wanted to bring only interesting retailers in, independent brands. They wanted to sculpt the, 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 the street as a, as a destination that people really wanted to go in with a really nice mix of food, of fashion, of designer brands and so forth. And that model has been widely copied around the world. So, Matthew, if I was to distill what you've said in terms of describing the perfect town centre, it would look like somewhere that you can shop, eat and play. Yeah, I mean, I think even more important than that, actually, the next big revolution is that we need to bring people living back amongst the towns. Uh, I I think the idea of having ghost town centres that close up at seven o'clock or that are only dominated by pubs and, and, and sort of nighttime drinking. That's not what we want. We need a more holistic approach. We need people working and living in these places as well. So, Matthew, with the acceleration of remote working, are you optimistic about the future for town centres? Yes and no. Uh, I, I, I'm very, very worried that councils and landlords are not, uh, taking the threat seriously enough. Um, I, I think if landlords and councils and retailers work together, the future could be bright. But unfortunately, I, I don't see that. Um, I think the government also needs to, to step in. I think there's a crisis that's happening with business rates. I think COVID is allowing people to do emergency distress measures that do not improve the shopping experience. Um, and when that happens... People just aren't going to go out shopping. You know, my, my big thing would be to say, to look at yourself, to look at your business and to say, post-COVID, is my business better than it was pre-COVID or worse? And if the answer is that it's worse because your customers have to queue to get into the store, uh, they can't touch stuff, they can't interact with the staff because they're behind screens, um, that essentially the whole experience is just a little bit worse than it was, then I think you're really facing trouble. However, 
there's a huge opportunity to actually offer an experience that's better than you did before. You know, if you can't have the same number of people inside the store, maybe you run appointment-only shopping where you are really giving amazing personal appointments. And this is something that Brown Thomas has been doing. This is something that other retailers have done, where you actually improve the level of service that you have so that each customer has a much better, more personal, uh, more in-depth uh, um, consultation with you. They're getting products that are better suited to them. They trade up. They spend more. Um, the experience is better, is more fun. This is, this is the type of approach that retailers need to take. But if you were operating a local retail store today, what else would yeah. you be doing to stand out? I think there's two approaches that you can do. You 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 take a, a kind of inspired look, don't touch approach. You know, if, if you have stores where people can't come in and browse and touch in the same way, you're going to have to work harder on your visual merchandising. You're going to have to have better looking window displays, uh, maybe, you know, displays that are that much more impressive when you walk into the store, more curated solutions that people can read quickly without having to touch and browse uh, perhaps with fewer numbers of the staff in store or, or customers in store, um, and combine that with an option to do a little bit more in-depth consulting, whatever it is, in order to increase that upsell. Um, and then the final point is also you are just going to have to work on on that online channel as well. Um, you know, this is, you know, the need to be agile online has never been more important. And would you be a fan of retailers locally combining their resources for marketing purposes? Yes. Well, I, I think retailers are going to need to start to think of themselves as part of an ecosystem. And this is what I talk about in terms of creating destinations. You know, they can't think of themselves as operating in a silo. They need to start marketing uh, you know, the location, they need to be working with food retailers, um, they need to be working with the councils in order to have external seating, maybe working on greening, um, you know, all of that type of stuff together. Absolutely. Market yourself as part of a destination. Of course, in recent years, we've also witnessed buying groups being established in some segments of the retail space, such as yep. the fast-moving consumer goods area. Is this a trend that we'll see expand across other segments over the years ahead? I think it will be. Absolutely. Uh, what I particularly like about some of the Irish retail model of buying groups is that you have the efficiencies that come out of buying groups, but yet you still have the authentic independence of local businesses. And that seems to work fairly well in, you know, in Ireland. If you think about maybe, you know, the hardware sector with some of the buying groups there, but yet really strong trading local businesses, um, you know, in the supermarket sector, perhaps with players like SuperValue who have some fantastic franchisees that are really responsive on a local level and yet have that sophistication of branding and of product range that comes from a national buying group. Uh, I think absolutely. Uh, you know, I think as a small independent retailer, you have some real benefits in terms of the personalized service and your local knowledge, but you perhaps don't have the sophistication in terms of online capabilities or design or branding and so forth. And I think clubbing together to buy in some of that expertise is definitely going to be one of the ways to survive. And Matthew, in recent years, we've also witnessed the growing presence of pop-up stores on our main streets across the country. Are you a fan of these? I love pop-up stores. 
I think pop-ups are fantastic. Uh, I mean, I've been looking at pop-up stores. I remember the very first pop-up store I saw was in 2004 from Comme des Garçons, which they did a, what was called the Gorilla Store, as in Gorilla the Fighter, not the animal. Uh, they launched it in Berlin, and they spent 2,000 US dollars on the fit-out. And I loved it because it was cre- super creative, and yet done without a huge budget. Um, It was flexible, it was changing, it was exciting, and it was dynamic. Um, And what was really interesting was post-2008, after the great financial crisis, that was really a massive acceleration in pop-ups. And, of course, it came because there were all these empty retail units that landlords needed to fit, uh, you know, needed to fill out. Um, they were prepared to do more flexible deals. Uh, other brands wanted to come in and perhaps experiment with retail. And that is absolutely going to continue. I think, in fact, we're going to see even more use of pop-ups. Um, we are already seeing the, you know, the retail real estate uh, market in a huge turmoil now. Um, you know, we are going to see huge retail uh uh, you know, properties coming out onto the market, uh, empty properties, new types of renegotiations of turnover-based rents. Uh, you know, no one's going to want to be signing 20-year leases anymore. So I think there's absolutely an opportunity for landlords to be offering flexible rents, to be actively encouraging pop-ups, to be facilitating pop-ups. Amazon, of course, is seen as the greatest threat to both local and national retail stores. But how can they fight back? They're going to have to be better. You know, it's quite simple. It's competition. You know, uh, ultimately, uh, Amazon is offering unparalleled convenience. I think that every retailer needs to go through what their customer experience is and to say, where are the pain points here? Where is it that customers put up with stuff that they wouldn't, but, but they wouldn't put up with if they were offered an alternative? Um, and, and most terrifying, Amazon are actually, you know, they're not just a challenger online. They're also a challenger in the physical store. Um, you know, they launched their checkout free shopping Amazon Go a few years ago in Seattle. There are now, uh, you know, news that they're planning to roll this out to 15 sites across the UK. They've extended this technology to full size supermarkets. Um, they have an Amazon four star concept in the US. Uh, you know, ironically, they also have a growing Amazon book, uh, you know, their own physical bookstore, which is incredibly ironic given that they. You know, they did an awful lot to facilitate the destruction of the traditional bookshop. Um, You know, you're just traditional physical retail has advantages inbuilt that online will never be able to replicate. And what you have to do is you have to play to those successes. You have to play to those advantages. You know, expert physical human contact will always win out. But you're going to have to understand the importance of convenience. As retailers get to grips with life after lockdown, apart from focusing on online, what should local retailers be focusing their energy on in order to stay relevant? They're going to have to continue to do the basics of what great retail is, but they're just going to have to do it better and better. Um, and as I said, you know, one of, the, one of the useful tools to do is to go through your business and to say, where can I improve? You know, to try and look with impartial eyes. And it's often hard to do when you spend your time looking at the business, you know, your own business, you know it so well, you make excuses potentially for, for things that are little pain points, you, but you've just got to step back. You've got to say, how could we do this? How could we do this better? Um, and as I say, again, uh, another opportunity is to look at your business and to say, is, is the customer experience better now post, post COVID or is it worse? And if it's worse, you really need to step back and and think about it because the competitive challenges are 
really going to be brutal. But, you know, community, hospitality, personal service, talking to your customers directly, interacting with them, having real conversations, rethinking what loyalty means rather than, you know, just collecting points on a card. It's actively thanking customers, developing relationships with them. You know, these are things that actually small, agile local businesses can do. Well, if you've just tuned in, that was retail futurist Matthew Brown, and he has certainly enlightened us about the imminent changes on the retail horizon. Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick.